Lord, we just thank you for your word and uh, for the gospel of John. And I'm just enjoying, Lord, we're enjoying it already, just the things that are in your word. And we pray, God, that you would help us to see the wonderful things that are in here this morning, God, that our hearts would be open, that our eyes would be able to see, Lord, that our ears would be able to hear, that we'd get a picture of, of who Jesus is in a, in a greater way, Lord, and what your word is revealing to us. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would just uh, come speak to us, that you'd help me, Lord, that you'd open each one of our hearts and that we'd be able to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet, yeah, so we're in John chapter 2 here this morning, and uh, let's read this great story about the, the wedding at Cana. It says this in verse 1, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Boy, man, if I talk to my mama like that, boy. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn it, drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and stayed there for a few days. Wow, so kind of a crazy story here. Uh, this is a lot of wine, you know, like 20 to 30 gallons times six times. They say it's about 2,400 half pints. Of, of wine that Jesus made here. And I don't know, I mean, I think probably the reality is, is when it was scooped, it, it was water until it came out of those jars. But just an interesting story. Background, a little bit of background. Let's get our bearings here a little bit as we come back to the Gospel of John. We remember that Jesus has been down in the lower region of the Jordan by the Dead Sea. On the other side, the eastern side across from Jericho, where these first disciples have gathered with him. He's He's got John with him now. He's got Andrew with him. We know Peter's there. We know Philip's there. We know Nathaniel's there. Not sure if anybody else has joined them. But Jesus made the decision, let's go, let's head up towards the Galilee. And so they've made the journey up, up the Galilee, uh, up the Jordan Valley to the Galilee. And this is Jesus' first miracle. That's what John said. So I think that means it's Jesus' first miracle. You know, you can read kind of extra biblical literature that says, you know, Jesus did this when he was a child, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and it's like, it's not true. This is the first miracle right here. And it's in this little village of Cana. It's in the highlands of the Galilee. Cana wasn't far from Nazareth. They say about an afternoon's walk. So, you know, Jesus is not far from his hometown, and 
He's made this journey, and it's just this, it seems to me that it's this simple marriage feast amongst family and friends in a little village, and there's a handful of disciples that have been invited along with Jesus to come and join things, and it's, it's probably fair to imagine, like if we just think about it, Nazareth and Galilee and so close that maybe, maybe there's some family relationships going on here between uh, Jesus' mother Mary and these inhabitants or these, these folks that are celebrating. Whatever it is, there was closeness enough that Jesus was quickly invited to come and join, join this marriage festival as he just gets back into town. And, and so in, the, in those days, I mean, like a marriage is a lot different than what we have and celebrate in our culture, right? Like in a, in a Jewish Hebrew culture, the practice was this, that the marriage festival ceremony stuff went on for seven days. Can you imagine? Like that's a party. And, you know, it was like the wedding ceremony and the honeymoon and the bachelor party and the bridal shower and the wedding shower and... And the reception is all wrapped into one big festival that went all week long. And at some point, how it would work is this, is that the bride would actually disappear for a while. She'd be kept in a, in, a, in a bridal chamber and only, you know, in a secluded part of the house. And only her husband would go in and, and see her and she'd be kept away. And they would have their time alone as a, new, as a new couple. And then finally, at some point later in the week, she'd emerge again and there'd be a big celebration and all this fanfare. And it was, it was a great family time and a time for a village to celebrate and enjoy this couple and to enjoy family and to enjoy friends and the excitement of marriage and a wedding. And it's cool that the Lord loves weddings that he chose the very first place that he would do a miracle is at a wedding. Because Jesus loves marriage. You know, loves the celebration of marriage. He loves to be invited into a marriage and into a couple's relationship. You know, the Bible tells us that one day we're gonna celebrate a marriage with him. His, his bride, the church, he the bridegroom, we're gonna meet in heaven and there's gonna be, the bride will be revealed like, like the picture of, of the Jewish wedding and there'll be the marriage supper of the, land, of the lamb and there'll be a party in heaven. We're gonna celebrate and, and be with him. And so I imagine like when you take this picture of the scene in, in Cana of Galilee here that this was pr- like in relative terms, they're in a little village. So I don't imagine that it was the hugest, hugest of weddings. Um. But you could just imagine how terrible it would be to run out of supplies at your wedding. Like, just think about that. I mean, for those of you that have been married, imagine your reception. It's like you're short 50 plates for 100 people that are present or whatever it is. It's awful. You know, we all have wedding stories. You, 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 things that you remember. Of course, as a pastor, you get insight, on, insight into all sorts of things that happen at weddings behind the scenes and all the crazy stuff. I remember... Um, before we were married, Lisa was in, I'm going to tell a funny story on Lisa. She's going to be mad at me, but I'm going to tell it. She's shaking her head already. Her, her friend Jen was getting married, and, and, uh, and Jen was marrying a buddy that I'd grown up from, with from the Sunshine Coast. And so I was there at the wedding, and it was when we were dating, and I think we were engaged already, maybe, or just about, just about. And uh, Lisa was in the bridal party, and at the reception, she was seated up on the platform, and uh, she was on the end of, 
of the wedding table and she shifted her seat over just a little bit and when she did, the back leg of her chair went off the stage and whoop, over she went and well, she hurt herself actually, but you know, in her embarrassment, sprung to her feet and got back up and the MC made fun of her all night long. And she's just embarrassed, right? Now I've embarrassed her again today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's all the crazy stories that happen at weddings. The little shenanigans from the flower girls and the ring bearers. And you've probably been at one over the years where the pastor faints or one of the groomsmen goes down. Or maybe the groom goes down, the bridegroom. <laughs> and there's all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, I actually uh, uh, knew this fellow who once did... A, a, a wedding ceremony. He was like a, a young life worker and he was doing a wedding ceremony for one of his own kids and his stomach started to bother him and he ran to the bathroom just before the service and he didn't make it. And so he had to call his wife, I need you to bring me a change of clothes before I... So, you know, there's just crazy things that can happen at weddings and, you know, the thing is, is people never forget that stuff. <laughs> Like 20 years later, I'm telling a story on my wife, or maybe you have a story that you would tell about your own wedding. And, and who would want to be remembered for like running out of wine? Like at the greatest celebration of their family. And, and maybe it was, you know, maybe it was lack because they were poor, or maybe it was the reality that there was like a few extra guests there with Jesus and his disciples. But it was just terribly embarrassing and in, in that culture and for that young couple, for, for them and for their families to not supply enough and for there be a, a lack and for, their, for them to run out of anything, let alone wine. Now, as we look at this story, like, let, let me remind you this, that we, we've been talking about this a little bit from John's gospel and introduced this idea that John carefully selected seven miracles only for his gospel. And he didn't call them miracles, he called them signs. Because as he told these stories, he retold these stories, um, he wanted us to catch something behind the story. And so the first one that he picks is the first one that Jesus ever did, the sign of changing water into wine. Now again, you just imagine John's massive library that he has, that he can draw from in three years with Jesus. And all the things that he saw, we read in the Gospels, like there were times when crowds came to Jesus and he healed every sickness and every disease. And you have to wonder how many hundreds of healings and miracles happened at some of those times when Jesus was there with the crowd. But Jesus picked, or John picked this one, the Spirit led him to start with this one and to pick it. And, and this sign is a miracle that points to, that indicates something that is greater than just what we see on the surface. It's like, wow, water to wine, but there's so much more here that God is communicating as this miracle happens. And John says this in verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says that he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now that's kind of a strange thing to me. When I read this, I'm like, it's water to wine, and what was the result? Again, look at verse 11. Here's the result. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I'm like, wait a minute. 
the glory of God was manifest in this little miracle sign? Like it seems so simple. Who's in on it? The servants are in on it and the disciples are in on it. We don't even know if Mary knows. The servants took, they knew what was going on. The master of ceremonies had no idea what was going on. Wow, you've saved the best to last. People don't do this. How did this happen? So there was this distinct purpose, John tells us, in performing this miracle, and it was to display the glory of God, to display the glory of Jesus. And when we stop and think about glory, our concepts of glory, and we think about the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God coming down into the temple, and priests not being able to stand, Solomon not being able to enter, we saw this on Wednesday nights, Moses not being able to enter when the tabernacle was first built because God's presence was so thick and so heavy, the reality of him there with them. And it's interesting, we talk about the glory of God and, and, and it says here again, this was the first of his signs, Jesus did a Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory. Glory speaks of the brightness and the splendor and the majesty and the magnificence and the, the excellence and the grace of God. And the perfection of, what happened was this, is that the perfection of Jesus was revealed to his disciples by this sign that seems just so simple as, as we read over it. In their hearts, something happened. You know, with their eyes, they beheld this miracle and then something registered in their hearts. When they saw, when they, when they tasted, what was revealed to them was the glory of Jesus. His majesty and his splendor, his magnificence, his brightness was manifested, John says. It manifested which means this, that it became known and it was realized. It wasn't just information they were collecting. There was a transformation that happened for them. And so I think, what did they see? Like, what did they see that revealed his glory in the midst of this story? What was it? What brought forth the brightness and the splendor? What changed for them that they said, hey, man, this is the glory of God. And I think there's a few things. I'm going to give them to you this morning. His glory taught them that true faith and worship is compatible and it's consistent with ordinary life. The disciples just days before had flipped their allegiance from John the Baptist to Jesus. It happened really quick. And John, you know, when we talk about John, we've been yapping about him the last few weeks. He's a unique guy, living in the wilderness, eating locusts, disgusting, living on honey, dressing in camel skin. What are you, an animal man? Like, come on, have some class, John. And, you know, we can kind of joke about that. We know about John, like, no home, no wife, no children, just full of the Holy Spirit, living this wilderness life. And we talked about it last week. We said, That's amazing. Full of Holy Spirit from the from with full of the Holy Spirit from the womb, and he he didn't he didn't need the trimmings on life. That was enough for him. And you know, there's this tendency when we look at a guy like John, and there's this tendency in our religious thinking and, and belief to to believe that 
when, when faith and religion is in its purest of forms, that you have to live and look like John the Baptist. You, you know, like it's sackcloth and ashes all the time because that's spiritual. It's mountaintop experiences because that's spiritual. That the body, you know, should be deprived. Should be deprived of joy and, and comforts. The spirit is enough, which he is. He is enough. But sometimes when we say such things, it's like we seem to have this implication that seclusion and wilderness and silence and monasteries and all of these things, a life of a monk and depriving yourself of, of worldly comforts is more spiritual because those things are ungodly. They're too common. I mean, the religious nature of human hearts, like John the Baptist appeals to your religious nature, whether you realize it or not. You're like, wow, that guy's stern. Repent, you sinners. Turn from your wickedness. And there's a religious spirit in each of us that somehow really equates the picture of John as very holy, which John was holy. But you know, if the Messiah is going to show up on the scene, one would assume this. Like if that's our picture of holiness, one would assume this, that Jesus would just take it to a whole new level, right? It's like, here I am up on the mountaintop. Come up to me crawling, you know, with all this effort and work. And, you know, Jesus is going to be so full of the Holy Spirit that he's going to be totally separated from the things of this world. And he, and he was, he certainly was. It just didn't come in the package that religious people expect, that the religious leaders expected. Certainly, you know, you would think the son of God, he's going to be, he's going to, he's going to take it to some new level. His isolation, his prayer life, his, his separateness from this world, and he'd be John the Baptist on steroids, you know? But that wasn't the case. He came eating and drinking. He moved freely amongst like common, normal, everyday people like you and I. John said to the Pharisees about him, among you stands one you do not know. He's like right in your midst and you can't recognize him sometimes. To the Pharisees, you couldn't recognize him. He's not up on the mountaintop. You don't have to crawl up. He's not wearing the robes of a Pharisee. He didn't come in camel skin clothing of a prophet. Where was Jesus? Jesus was in people's homes. Jesus was at people's dinner tables. Jesus was at their marriage ceremonies. Jesus was on the street. Jesus was in the marketplace. Jesus was in the boat with his disciples. It was at weddings. That's why a, a peasant wedding in Cana with folks who couldn't even supply enough wine for the celebration, for the, couldn't, they couldn't supply enough wine for the greatest celebration of their life and, and there was Jesus with regular people. And that's the simple heart of the Lord. That's the glory of God. That's the glory of Jesus that 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 rather than be separated from the world, he chose to be in it and yet not of it. A wedding party. Like in our minds, 
It's easier to decline an invitation, right, than to actually show up to something and say, I'm going to walk in holiness in the midst of this situation. Or, or we think of Jesus. It's like, why didn't he just decline some situations, but rather he, he did this. What, he, he showed up and he behaved and acted like the son of God, no matter where he was. And you know, there's this sense in us, in our, in our spirituality, that it's like, it's easier to decline the things of this world rather than to learn to use them in a godly, biblical sense with restraint, with holiness, with a heart for God. You know, there's something about this place that's safe for us as Christians, right? It's like, and it's good. We're here together. We're here to worship Jesus. We're here in the church. And, and that's like awesome. We need these times. But there's something about this that is certainly easier than going out and actually getting your hands dirty for the gospel, don't you think? It's like, it's easier for me to pray for my neighbor than to cross the street and try to engage the chaos with that neighbor. Do you know what I mean? It's easier to just say, yeah, you know, I'll pray for you, come to church, than, than to engage the disaster that's going on in people's lives around us. And this is the beauty of Jesus. This is what the disciples saw as he simply changed water to wine. They began to see this, is a, this, this Messiah is going to take ashes and he's going to make beauty. He's going to take broken lives and he's going to make everything new. He's going to take sorrow and he's going to turn it into joy. He's going to take where there's a lack of supply and he's going to bring more than enough. And you know, the, the religious nature that, that, that we have sees, you know, weakness in humanness, sees weakness in, in human feelings. You know, the, the, the religious person sees natural inclinations of humanity, natural desires as, as, as sin. But you know, I just, as I think about this, I'm like, you know, the Lord, he made flowers to be smelled. He, he, he made birds to be watched and waves to be surfed. And, that, and that's the Lord. Like he made a husband for his wife and he made a wife for her husband. And those are like all beautiful things, the flowers and, and all of these things. And, and one of the most beautiful things in all of creation is this, to invite Jesus to a wedding. To say a man's made for his wife and a wife is made for his man and Jesus, we invite you into the midst of it. It's like always, a, I love it as a pastor when I like, when there's a young couple and they're like, we are seeking to honor Jesus. We want to include Jesus in our relationship. We're not getting in the way of one another in our walk with Christ. We're, we're honoring God physically. We're seeking to do him spiritually and we invite, and it's like, you know, you don't get to do a lot of those. But when you do, man, they're sweet. They're sweet because you're like, Jesus is in the midst of this. And it's amazing to just think this, that it was his glory that, that true, true faith, 
True walking with Jesus is compatible and it's consistent with ordinary life. Parenting and working. And his glory wants to touch all those ordinary areas of our life. Here's something beautiful. That Jesus made you. And you don't have to become something other than yourself before he will love you. He loves you. And when you discover that, you're like, oh, now there's freedom. Now I can say to him, I desire to be like you. Please change me. And so what did these disciples see? It's like a few days they've been hanging with Jesus. Nathaniel, things have clicked for him already. Jacob's ladder. They saw his glory manifested and they believed in him with one simple sign. They saw that Jesus was God clothed in human flesh. And that their goal was not, that his goal was not to destroy their humanity, to, to, to say, oh, you, what is it with you and your desires and this and that? No, he came to fulfill it and to purify it. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. That's what the scripture says. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. How does that sound? Pleasures forevermore. Because Jesus will satisfy you like no one else can. And the beauty of this is what we're going to see is that he saves the very best for last. I mean, if you think about it, like what use would the son of God be if he placed himself up on top of a mountaintop in seclusion and he had us climb up to the mountaintop? What use would Jesus be? What did he do? He came down to us. He came down to us. And so I would tell you this, that, it, that, that any form of spirituality that turns Jesus into something unaccessible and untouchable is unbiblical. Because he came to us. He wants to meet with us and he asks us to respond to him. And the first word of the gospel is this, it's, it's, it's go. It's go, right? And, and Jesus showed up to that wedding and, and the fruit was this. Those disciples wanted to be more like him. They wanted to be more like him. They saw the glory of God. They saw, they saw his holiness and his presence was irresistible. And I just think that's what we should be. And you don't have to like manufacture that. You can just say, Lord, I need you. I'm going into this situation. Would you help me? Would you help me to be like you? In, in my work, in my family, my here, my this, my that, I'm going to do this. You guys know that we spend lots of time at the rink, our family, too much time. But lots of times on the drive there, I said, Lord, give you this time now. I know what's going to happen in the next hour or two. I pray that Jesus would be glorified. Help me, Lord, to have words that reflect you and to honor you in the midst of this time. Because we take Jesus everywhere. Everything's ministry. Everything is gospel. Everything. There's no separation. And I think about Jesus, that irresistible whatever it was that he had, I think that that should be us. And as we spend time with Jesus, we should, and our holiness should awaken, the fragrance of Christ in us should awaken something in other people. Whether it makes them mad or makes them, you know, attracted, whatever it is. Paul said this, he said, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything. 
What else did the disciples see? I, I, I think that they saw this about it, his glory, that it was his glory to teach them that you have to wait for the timing of God. You know, Jesus was the perfect picture of meekness, power under control. He was in submission to the Father. Jesus was absolutely dependent on the Father. He, he didn't act of his own will or his own desire. Look again at verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does, <laughs> I was wondering, I mean, in heaven, we'll find out what the inflection was there. No, we're, yeah, only Jesus. No, I'll tell you about it in a minute. And Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. They're out of wine. And a good mama, right? Good, good friend, good guest understood that this was like a social faux pas. And disgraceful for their family. And, and so, you know, she's worried about the young couple and worried about their family. And so she asked her son to do something. And you have to think that whatever she felt, Jesus was feeling too. But, but he didn't take his commands from her. That's what we see here. He didn't take his commands uh, from his mother. He's the, he's the son of God. And he didn't take his commands from his emotions. He was feeling what she was feeling. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It, it, sounds, it sounds harsh, but it was actually common. It's actually common language at that time. And it's a tender way for him to address his mother. And he says this, my hour has not yet come. It's interesting. Jesus talks about the hour. The hour is at hand. The time has come. The hour is here. And here he tells her, it's not time. It's not time. In other words, the, the Father in heaven has to give the directive. Not you, Mom. The Father has to give the directive, and, and not a moment before and not a moment after, and I'll do what my heavenly Father says. And so it was his glory to teach his disciples to wait for the timing of God. We see that all throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. He was waiting, timing. It's not time, it's time. It's, you know, I only do what my father tells. It was also his glory to show them that the true faith is something that's inward. Six pots of water used for ceremonial washing to purify. And these, 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 things were just filled with water and they were present in the home all the time so that, so that the Jewish people could practice in that home the outward, outward nature and practice of ceremonial washing. Because in that culture, because of Old Testament law, like the need for cleanliness had reached kind of superstitious levels. No one ate without washing. No one worshiped without washing. They say that in a Jewish home at that time, the washing of pots and cups and utensils never ended. That's why Jesus is like, you wash the outside of the cup and you don't look after the inside. He was speaking about the inward nature. I mean, religion for them had turned into everything external. You know, as long as you're clean on the outside, you can ignore the realities of the heart, the filthy realities of the heart on the inside. The, these are the games of the religious. Just, you know, put the window dressing on. And Jesus turned water, water uh, 
into wine, he turned the outward ceremonial washing of water, and he's saying this, something inward needs to happen. There needs to be a transformation on the inside. Ritual washings and outward ceremonial washing, I mean, there's no power in it to save. There must be a miracle on the inside. You know, the, the prophets in the Old Testament spoke of this all the time. They were always telling the people this. David said this, Psalm 51 verse 16. You will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Speaking of the Lord. Isaiah said this, the Lord spoke through Isaiah. Isaiah said this, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 13. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure the iniquity and solemn assembly. That's the Lord speaking through the, through the prophets. I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your incense. I don't want the external dressings of religion. Micah said this. Micah 6 verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What's he saying? He's saying this. Religious rituals don't save your soul. They don't save your soul. And that was the beauty of what this picture was for the disciples. They saw, oh. There's an inward transformation Jesus is going to bring. Water into wine. Uh, rebirth. You know, it's no wonder that the next thing that we, we're going to read about, I don't think we're going to get there this morning. The next thing that we read about is Jesus cleansing the temple. And then the next is telling Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Because the inside matters. You know, it was also the glory of Jesus to, to awaken his disciples to just see the hand of God in ordinary things. In the normal, I guess, process of nature, water to wine is something that's common. It just takes many months. It takes a whole process. And Jesus did it like that. And the world's full of miracles. You know, I like, uh, years ago, I got to hike the West Coast Trail. I did it with, uh, in grade 12. And uh, I remember just enjoying the beauty of the West Coast, right? Big old growth trees and laying on the ground once in a while with your backpack and just taking it all in. I'd be like, whoa, check out that tree, man. That is awesome. And finally, my buddy's like, would you shut up, man? Quit talking about how awesome the tree is or the beauty. I'm like, well, I must have been totally annoying. It's hard to believe, but uh, no. And, you know, I was thinking about it. I thought, you know, you know the difference between him and I is this. I know Jesus. And there's beauty in ordinary things when you know Jesus. Like a flower or a bird or a tree. You like the waves, man. You look out here, you say, wow, God is so good. I think that comes from having a spirit that's awakened to the Lord because when the spirit is alive unto God, you see beauty in very simple things. You see the miracles of creation. There's miracles going on around us all 
the time. So tragic what's gone on in the state of New York this week. I'm sure you heard the decision that they made about the termination of life and abortion in New York State. They, 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 have you heard about it? They determine, like, how can someone look at a baby that is eight, eight months and 30 days old and call it a fetus and decide that it can be terminated and one day later it's a viable? Right to nine months, they said you can terminate a pregnancy in the state of New York. They've made it law. Pardon me? I know they can in Canada too. Yeah, thank you, Jana. Here's the other thing. You need to know that about our nation. That you can in Canada because there's no law restraining such things in Canada. And it's like, how can one person look and say, how beautiful a baby woven together in its mother's womb by the hand of the Lord. It's a miracle. And another say, that life is inconvenient and take it. You know, one sees a parasite that's not convenient and the other can see the creation of God and all of the beauty and wonder in the midst of it. There's miracles all around us. The power of God is seen in the wind and the waves. The power of God is seen in the rising and the setting of the sun and the moon and the stars. Did you see the blood moon? That was pretty awesome a couple weeks ago. We were here for prayer on Sunday night and then just right slipped outside. It was like, wow, look at that thing. That's amazing. It's miracles in your vegetable garden and your flower garden in the storm and in the, there's miracles happening around us all the time. The world is full of miracles, but so often, you know, everyday normal life, it's blinded. We, we, we don't seem to see it. We can be blind to those miracles around us until you meet Jesus. And then you begin to see the wonder of life. Water into wine isn't, that big of a miracle, it happens all the time. Jesus just did it like that. And he demonstrated his power. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says this, for, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Found this little line from a poem. Every common bush is a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. They saw his glory. They took off their shoes. They said, well, we believe. We believe in you, Jesus. You know, was, what else did they see about his glory? I would say this. They also saw this, that it was his glory to save the best for last. God's not done with you. He's not done with me. The best is yet to come. That, that's biblical. It's right. It's true. You know, with the devil, he gives the best first. That's what the world does. The world gives you its very best 
first. Satan lays out his very best in his sales pitch. And sin seems good. It seems good in its ability to satisfy you. And then you get the, the fix and the satisfaction wanes. And to get the fix again, you have to slide further and further. Because the best comes first. The deeper and deeper you go into sin, the more depraved it has to come, become, the more weird it has to become, the stranger it has to become. You have to dive in deeper and deeper and deeper to get the thrill you first had. You have to spend more money than you spent at first to get the same fix. And, and it's just like the prodigal, the partying led to the pig pen. It's like he went from partying up here with the cool people to write to the pig pen. And you know, I just if you're living for this world, you should make the most of it because today's the best you got. <laughs> if you are living for this world, today is the best you'll ever have. But if you live for Jesus, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And you know, if you're living for this world, that which satisfies you today will not satisfy you tomorrow. The sin that satisfies you today will not work to give you your fix for tomorrow. Your appetite for sin will grow and it won't be satisfied. That's how sin and temptation works. But Jesus is always giving something better. You know, I, I know that this is your testimony. It's mine. It's like a, a 25 years really seriously walking with the Lord and I just say this, Jesus gets better and better and better. It's like, seriously? I was just meditating on this text this week, and I'm like, man, Jesus, you just, you just get better. He is what every human heart is searching for, and he gets better and better. I know that, you know, this is kind of like an inconvenient story for us as Christians. We're like, water, wine, oh, alcohol, this, that. Oh. We get like, it bothers, it's, it, but I think that's the idea. It's, it should mess with you somewhat. And, and, you know, I'm no wine connoisseur, but those who taste wines refine and they train their palate, right? It's like you listen to these wine experts and they're like, oh, did you get the subtle hint of, I don't know, <laughs> strawberry, cherry, whatever. It's like, oh, there's nice chocolate flavor in that wine or Whatever, I taste the, I could taste the soil. It's like, are you weird? Do you like eat this? I don't know. And, and you know, it's interesting because they refine their palate. Listen, this is important. They train their palate. And they can catch the subtleties, the little notes, the little hints, the little flavors, the little tastes. And for them, as their palate's trained, the subtleties and the little nuances become the greatest joy. Oh, did you catch the cherry? Oh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's like Jesus. Did you know that? That's like Jesus. As your taste becomes more refined, you catch the little subtleties. Like, wow, did you taste that? That was his mercy. I know. Wow, did you catch some of his grace? And your palate refines and, and Joy comes from simply allowing him to infiltrate and penetrate and, and, and get his taste into your life. Psalm said, your, your light is a word unto my path. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Catch the nuance of what he tastes like. Because to know him today is better than knowing him yesterday. That's why he's better than sin. He's better today than he was yesterday. Better and better and better. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he said this, As it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love Jesus? Then you cannot even imagine what he is preparing for you. You cannot imagine what he's preparing for. See, this is what happened for the disciples. Glory, man. There was a revelation of the glory of Jesus. Their hearts were transformed. They believed. They believed. The master of ceremony said, you saved the best for last. That, that speaks of the quality of what Jesus made. And his wedding present exceeded expectations for that couple. This is a sign telling us that Jesus is the master over quality. He's the master over quantity. He's good at what he does. And what he does is what he makes is the best. It's the best. And if that's the case, I mean, you just have to think, man, how good is heaven going to be? How good is it going to be when we see him face to face? If wine is good in the peasant house of a young couple in Cana, what's it going to taste like in heaven? Verse 9, take a look again. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana and Galilee, at Cana and Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. They believed in him. I think what we'll do is we'll wrap it there. So we're going to make this a part tour. And I'm going to give you just a couple things to walk away with hopefully this morning. Look it. It's good to invite Jesus to your wedding. It's good to invite Jesus into your marriage. Just invite him in. Okay? You don't have to change yourself. You don't have to just invite him in. Just say, Jesus, we invite you in. I invite you in. Come and do something because I'm like at a loss or whatever it is. I just, just want you present. I want your glory present in our home and in our lives. And then do this. You know, Mary gives the best advice. This is the last time Mary says anything in the scriptures. And the very last thing Mary says in the Bible is this. Do whatever he tells you. That's good instruction from a mom about her son, Jesus. Do whatever he tells you. You know, here we are. We're living like, you know, this little town, Sunshine Coast, our little chunk of paradise that we all love so much. And it's good to know this. Listen, God is glorified in ordinary life. I know that we like, you know, we love the shazam and wham, but God is glorified in ordinary life. That's what we see in this, this story. This, this sign is telling us, look, you don't have to produce anything. Just invite God to glorify himself in the midst of what he's called you to, wherever you're doing. Follow, follow his lead. And and you know, the beauty of that is this, is that others might know, but a servant, 
A disciple always knows where the wine comes from. A disciple, a servant, always knows where the wine comes from. It's like, oh, wow, you know. Maybe someone comments this, that. It's like, I know my source. I know my source, and it's not myself. And that's what we're to know. We're servants. We're disciples. Do whatever he tells you, and know the source is not yourself. He can do the work, and he wants to do the work. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray this morning. Would you guys stand with me? Worship team, you want to come? Lord, I just want to thank you for the way that you manifest your glory in each of our lives, Lord. There's beauty here because you're here, Lord. You're, you're, you're at work doing little things. And it's just natural and common to you, Lord, and it should be natural and common to us to recognize it. And so, God, I, th- I thank you that you just you want to bring the supply, Lord. And so we ask you, God, that you would help us not to be those who just wash the outside of the cup and don't look after the inside. God, would you come and purify our hearts and cleanse us of sin and wickedness, we pray. Lord, would you come and just bring that which is so natural, water, and change it into a work of your spirit, Lord, the wine of your spirit. Bring the anointing of your spirit into each one of our lives, Lord. We ask you to change us on the inside. And then, Lord, as as we're changed and we go about ordinary, everyday life stuff, we just pray that you'd be glorified in us. Got a little group of people here. May we just be salt and light in this community, Lord. May we be the presence of Jesus here for you, Lord, in our workplace, in our homes, Lord, in our marriages, in our parenting. God, we need you, and we need your glory to be manifested. God, we don't want to be just those who just pray and don't go. May we go, Lord. May we get our hands dirty for you, Lord. May we get involved in wherever you call us to get involved. And God, may you speak to us, Lord. I pray, I pray, God, that as we consider your word this morning, that we would have that heart of Jesus birthed in us, that he didn't go without the command of the Father. And so, Lord, would you, would you tune our ears, Lord? Would you just tune us up, God, so that we're listening and, and waiting for instruction and for your direction. And then when you give it, Lord, may we go. And trust you for the results. And so God we thank you. That you come to complete us. To fulfill us Lord. To purify us. To make us like you. And you're conforming us. Into the image of your son. Be glorified. In us Lord. Be glorified. In your church Lord. Be glorified. On the sunshine coast. Through our lives we pray Jesus. In your name. Amen.